everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, joined by my co-host, Rob Dunham. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> Rob was messing with his video, if you happen to be watching us on YouTube. Coffees. Yes. The producers right. are getting fired. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, on this episode, we will, of course, talk about, talk about the box office. We will preview a couple of movies coming out this week. Uh, we're going to talk about disaster films, our favorite disaster films, along with a new segment called our anti-watch list, movies that we hate and why we hate them. And, of course, we'll go back to our regular watch list, movies that we may or may not hate, but that we watched over the past week alrighty Rob are you ready oh I am so ready excellent ah so let's let's start off with the box office results uh number one we have a new entrance at number one in the box office and it is Elvis Elvis in its debut weekend made 31.2 million dollars followed by a return to number two Top Gun Maverick, which still made $29.6 million in its fifth week of release. Jurassic World Dominion, 26.7. The Black Phone, in its first week, did 23.6, continuing another strong run for horror movies. And Lightyear finished fifth in its second week at 18.2. Interesting results this week, Rob. A uh, lot, lot to this. Well, what do you make of it? Uh, first, I'm, I'm pretty impressed. Uh, Elvis seems to have done well. Mm -hmm. um, I do think it will need to sustain for a little while. Uh, I just looked at the numbers and it said the <laughs> reported budget of the movie was 85 million. So 34 is a good start, but it'll have to, you know, last for a while. And I'm sure it will do fairly well overseas too. So I'm sure yeah. they'll make well over their budget back. But that, that's one that will for sure be interesting to see um, how it goes from week one to week two. Cause yeah. that's when I could see having like a 60, 70% drop off potentially, or it could, you know, have a lot of word of mouth and kind of be a little higher tier um, everything everywhere all at once kind of yeah. movie where it doesn't drop a whole lot for several weeks. So um, be interesting to see, I have not had the chance to go see that yet. Mm -hmm. um, I did see the black phone. Mm. So I had a chance to see one of the new movies that came out this week. Nice. Um, I'm unsurprised by how well that did the first week. Um, as a horror movie, it does seem that that has become something that we see on a regular basis. If a horror movie is well made, yeah, um, tends to do pretty well in the box office. And this movie, according to what was released, only has a budget of 18 million, so it's already made it back after one weekend. <laughs> Which we, we've seen happen consistently with horror movies. Horror is like printing money. You just, yeah. and you just throw out a half-decent one on a small budget and it does well. And the, the Blumhouse um, name is just... Mm -hmm. It's like it's, it's almost automatic. Blumhouse and A24 right now, if you're making a horror suspense movie, it's almost and automatic. You're gonna do, yeah, you're going to do well in the box office. Yeah. A24, Blumhouse, Jordan Peele. You're making money. You are. Uh, the other the other thing that I thought was pretty awesome that's not explicitly stated in the domestic box office numbers that we're talking about is that um, Top Gun Maverick officially went over a billion worldwide. It did. 
which I think we predicted after the first weekend, seeing how well it did, that it would probably get there. Yeah, it's it really is remarkable. It's it's a remarkable movie. It's remarkable that it's it's staying power has been what it is, and uh, it's it really is. It's a monster release, and and probably undoubtedly the biggest movie of the summer. I don't think the other Marvel movies are going to get there. Uh, pretty incredible. It'll be interesting yeah, to I, see where it stands. I think no, no matter what you would have um, thought or expected from this movie before it came out, that there's no way anyone could have seen it. In yeah. my opinion, getting to a billion dollars worldwide, given the the struggles that we've seen continuing a little bit for movies, even ones that have done really well. So, <clears throat> and it not being a superhero movie or a James Bond movie or like a, a Mission Impossible movie or anything like that. Um, obviously, a lot of people like Top Gun, but it's not, it's not like this huge established brand. Yeah. So to see it do that number is, is phenomenally impressive. Yeah. And its appeal across a, across a wide range of demographics uh, is really a major part of that as well. Uh, very impressive. Um, yeah. The drop-off for... Jurassic World Dominion continues, but it's not. I mean, 26 is not bad in its third week. Um, it's still been quite successful. It went over the 300 million mark domestically. And so that's that was clearly a successful movie. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that, you know, I mean, Top Gun Maverick's not leaving anytime soon. I mean, you're number yeah. two in the box office five weeks in. It's it's not going anywhere. That number. Yeah, it almost had the top spot in the box office five weeks into it being out, which is yeah crazy. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So you still have plenty of time to go see it or see it again because it ain't going anywhere. Yeah, it's gonna be one yeah, of those where it will still be out in theaters when it's available to rent or own. <laughs> hey, I'll I'll talk more about it in the. Uh the watch list as well but i would definitely recommend if you're into um suspense uh or horror movies that you go check out black phone um it's not real it's it's not really like a horror horror movie it's way more psychological i would say than straight up horror so i think it i think that will make it appeal to a wider range of people too so i could see it doing pretty well for a little while all right excellent so that's the box office uh, for this past week. Now, what's coming out this week? Uh, opening this week, there are three ones that are going to hit most of your box offices. Uh, number one and the biggest release on the list would be Minions, The Rise of Gru, the latest installment in the Minions slash Despicable Me uh, series. And that is, of course, a kids movie, an animated kids movie that uh, have been very successful from Illumination Studios. Uh, the second one is Mr. Malcolm's List. And this is a young woman courts a mysterious wealthy suitor in 19th century England. Uh, this has is stars Frida Pinta, Sope Derisu, Oliver Jackson Cohen, Ashley Park. Uh, this has, for me, this has very much Bridgerton vibes to it. If you're familiar with the, the Netflix series Bridgerton, it has very similar vibes um, to that. So it's going to be like a 
a romance, romantic comedy set in the 19th century England. And the last one of the main entrance is, is um, rocketry, uh, the Namby effect. And this one is about, it's based on the life of ISRO scientist Nambi Narayanan, who was framed of being a spy and arrested in 1994. And though he is free, he is still fighting for justice and those police officials who falsely implicated him. Uh, so this one comes out on Friday as well. And yeah. So, Rob, what uh, what appeals to you for this week? Um, I will probably end up going to see the Minions movie with my kids because they love the Minions, mm -hmm. as most kids do. And I don't hate it as much as some people. Mm. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, I don't I I'm really uncertain if I will see either of the other. Yeah. One. So um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, for me, there's not really an appeal for any of these movies uh, this week. I mean, I've seen, I want to say I've seen two of the Despicable Me movies. Um, they were fine. I mean, they're kids animated movies. They're fine. Um, I, But I don't really have a good reason to see it. And there's other stuff in the box office I still haven't seen. Uh, so unlikely that I will go see any of these movies. But probably if I had to choose, I would go with Minions would be the one i'd go see uh but who knows maybe my wife will get the idea she wants to see mr malcolm's list and then you know who knows <laughs> so that's what's uh that's what's coming out in the box office of course you still have time to see elvis top gun jurassic world black phone lightyear any of those are still going to be out for this week uh so lots of different options at the box office right now over the summer and we will definitely be hitting uh, a big one that's coming out in two weeks, which will be Thor Love and Thunder. Very much looking forward to that one. All right. Let's move on to our discussion section for this week's podcast. And let's start out with this one. I was, uh, I was thinking about disaster films. And that is an interesting genre in and of itself. There are lots of disaster films uh, so we thought we'd go through and list uh, three or four of our favorite disaster films and talk a little bit about what makes a good disaster film. Uh, so, Rob, where do we want to start? Do you want to start about the overall disaster films? Or we want to get into our favorites. I think overall would be a good place to start. Let's do it. At the scene. Yeah. So let's let's talk about what. Well, how would you define a disaster movie and, and what is the appeal of disaster movies? Like, why do we like them? Why is it a genre that continues to have success? Uh, I think people like seeing the worst possible outcome of things. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but they like seeing big things get blown up or torn apart or flooded or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what that says about people <laughs> or me because i'm one of those people in yeah. general but um i do think like the the huge special effects and uh different absurdity of things uh 
lends towards a good theater going experience. Um, it's just a, it's a truly an escape. I think mm-hmm. real. I also think people um, are generally pessimistic a lot of the time mm. and maybe them seeing this as their way of working out or through that pessimism about where the world is and where it's going. Uh, they've been around for a while, so yeah, yeah. Um, partially, I would define, I would define uh, disaster movies in part as there has to be a level of scope and scale to them. Um, I looked up a variety of lists just to make sure I wasn't missing anything on on disaster movies, and they included some things like K nineteen, The Widowmaker, or Apollo thirteen. And yes, they are individual small-scale disasters, but they they don't have a broader effect, I think. So to me, I would not consider them disaster movies, even though that's the main crux of the story is a particular small disaster. Uh, So I think there has to be a broader, like a bigger base base to it, Uh, something that has a broader effect uh, for it to be a true disaster movie. Uh, in terms of the appeal, I think, I think there's something people like the juxtaposition of disaster and human triumph, because I think the best versions of these movies all have that juxtaposition. Something horrible is happening. Now, here's how people come together and triumph over that disaster or triumph through it. Um, oftentimes you see the best in humanity come out in these movies. So even though there is, there is a, a massive sense of destruction and death and upheaval, I think part of what makes them work so well is because you put human beings in difficult circumstances and watch as their, as their creativity, their humanity and some of those things triumph. Now that's not in, in it for all of them, but I think that those are the ones that I think for me resonate the best. And there's generally some sort of sense of uniting and coming together, even while not, even while there are other segments that are very divided, you see some of the overarching storylines come around people uniting to help one another out. And I think there's an appeal to that. Even if the setting is something horrible, I think the juxtaposition of, of the horror of what's happening with uh, how humanity triumphs over it is a powerful story. And I think that genre lends itself to that kind of storytelling and towards great individual character moments. Yeah, I would. I would uh, so there's one on my list that goes against your... Yeah. <laughs> wide-scale disaster mm-hmm. that's okay <laughs> I, yeah, I mean it's, it's, it's like a localized, it yeah it's a localized disaster yeah I, I think i would define it more as like, like um something like the, the movie has to feature characters who are like against like all odds like there's it seems like there is no hope of survival and i think in general the wide-scale ones are going to show that more Mm-hmm. But I do think they can effectively be done on a smaller scale. But I, I, I also think that that is maybe maybe a little more difficult to accomplish because a lot a lot of movies like that you'll have a disaster type scenario and then like out of nowhere there's a magic 
you know, solution or yeah. uh, Deus comes in and saves everything. Yeah. Uh, sometimes happens in the large scale ones too, but mm-hmm. I almost feel like if you're doing a smaller scale one, there has to be like a sad ending. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the one on my list fits that category. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that's the nice thing about it is you can play around with the lines a little bit about what is and what isn't. Um, and then have that discussion about whether it is a disaster movie, whether it isn't, you know, does it, what are the true qualifications of it? So yeah, let's get into it and uh, let, let's see which ones you selected. All right. So give me one. Uh, I, so I have like five right now. I guess we have three each. Um, we might you can do four. I got four. So. You can do yeah, it. yeah. You might have some overlap here too. Okay. Um, I think I'll say the one that I saw that I thought was the best one mm-hmm. that I've seen so seen mm-hmm. um, came out uh, just a couple years ago. Greenland with Gerard Butler. Oh, okay. Um, if you have not seen that, I highly recommend watching that because uh, the reason why I liked it so much is that, in spite of the world-ending nature of it, it felt a lot more grounded. Hmm. And almost any other disaster movie I've seen, like this seemed like there was actual emotion and, um, you know, moments that mattered in the movie, which is hard for a movie like that to pull off. It didn't feel as focused on the giant special effects part of things, but there were moments in it that reflected that. Um, but yeah, I'd, the movie Greenland, I would recommend checking out. Hmm. Nice. Uh, the first one on my list, uh, one of my favorites that I, I come back to and watch on a regular basis is uh, Dante's Peak. And this is this is a story uh, starring Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton from 1997 about a, uh, a volcano that wrecks a, a town in the northeast, or, yeah, in the northwest part of the country. And it's just, it's a fun, it's, how do you say fun? Uh, it's an interesting story. It's a compelling story uh, because they present, present it as Pierce Brosnan believes the volcano is going to blow up and nobody else does. And so he's trying to stick around and convince everyone that this volcano is headed for disaster. Uh, yeah, one of my favorites. This is another one where you have excellent human interest stories. Uh, the, the relationship between Pierce Brosnan and Linda Hamilton and her kids uh it's really compelling stuff and and i enjoy i enjoy the interplay i enjoy some of the shots around in and around a volcano that they were able to get which is really cool uh so it's just a fun movie uh this movie also lines up with one of the strangely bizarre common traits of disaster movies in that a lot of times there are two that come out almost the exact same time that are about the same thing yes movie volcano also came out in the same year yes the tagline the coast is toast yes <laughs> i still remember seeing that trailer in the theater <laughs> yeah i don't know if uh are any of the other ones on your list also line up with that phenomenon uh i don't think so i mean we also have uh oh what what there's armageddon and deep impact, deep impact. And armageddon um there's uh mission to mars and and uh red planet yeah 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 it's all it's always interesting you wonder if like the same script was shopped around someplace and then someone took it and then another person 
just slightly adapted it and now two studios are doing the same movie and then it's a race to see who comes out first (laughs) yeah it's really fascinating how that works and 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 the phenomena behind that maybe we'll have to investigate that a little bit yeah all right what's your second one uh second for me i'll go with the one that didn't fit your uh your okay. definition of a disaster movie, and that would be the perfect storm. Ah, um, yes. Okay. The reason why I, I I think it qualifies because it's it's uh I mean it was a storm that was on the whole east coast of the country. I mean particularly mm-hmm. centered in the ocean off of New England. Yeah. Um, I think I am partially biased to this movie because of my New England roots. Yeah. Um, because we when I lived in Maine, we had nor'easters come like almost every winter there would be some variation of them and even on land you're getting just absolutely pounded by a foot plus of snow and like really high like 40 50 mile an hour winds so thinking about what it would be like out in the ocean the open ocean Mm -hmm. um, is a little terrifying and i think they did a good job in that movie of really putting you in the place of the people on the boat Mm-hmm. And I also think that movie did a pretty good job of making you feel connected to the characters and um, caring about them. So yeah. uh, the perfect storm, and that came out. Let me see. Oh man, I want to say that. I want to say what was that? Two thousand one. Two thousand. Two thousand. Came out in two thousand. Uh, George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, John C. Riley, Diane Lane. So pretty awesome cast in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, and I think with that movie too, uh, it did a great job incorporating the tragic element, mm-hmm. like you know, classic classic tragedy element involved in that one. Yeah, like I said, usually at the end of the movie there is something that saves uh, everybody, and that doesn't happen in this one. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my next one is uh, another one from the mid '90s. Uh, apparently I love mid nineties disaster movies, uh, Twister, Twister, Helen Hunt, Bill Paxton. And this is of course about a, uh, two people who uh, are basically tornado chasers. And, um, the big story here is, uh, Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton used to be together. Now he's going to marry somebody else, but he's got to come back to get x get paperwork signed with helen hunt and then all of a sudden they end up chasing down tornadoes together um just a fun look at i've always been slightly fascinated with tornadoes and this one did a great job of of showing uh, tornadoes tornado chasing some of the science behind it of course a lot of that is has thoroughly advanced in the last 30 years but it was it was a fun, interesting movie. You do see lots of tornado destruction and uh, some interesting moments along the way. But again, good character study between Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton. Lots of good character moments. Yeah, there's no better mo- moment in a disaster movie than the flying cow. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I do love the, the, the one scene towards the end where they're looking for a place to hide and a place to anchor themselves. They walk into a barn. It's like just full of like pitchforks and sighs and blades and all this stuff. And they're like, who are these people? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, some, some fun, interesting moments. All right. What's next on your list? Um, so I have uh, 2012. 
mm. John Cusack. Mm-hmm. I think that's like, I, I almost think if you were to point at a movie and say, this is a disaster movie. I, I think this might be the the one I would point out as like, like an archetype for a disaster movie, wide scale disaster movie is. That's yeah. not to say it's a good movie because it's not, <laughs> but it's it's fun to look at. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty yeah. much all it is. Like um, d- disaster as a spectacle. Yeah, I think is what 2012 is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I that was on my list too. That was my next one on my list as well. And I think you're right. It exemplifies the what you would call the standard. It's the archetype of disaster movies. Uh, the one thing I, I think along those lines is there's a bunch of compelling, interesting, compelling characters. And they're put in, in terrible situations and you get to see how they respond. And there is a call towards greater humanity in this. And I think it's exemplified in the scene. Um partway through where I, I've never know how to pronounce this guy's name. She weddle a geo for her. Yeah. <laughs> He's a well-known actor. I just can never pronounce his name uh, is, is talking with uh, Tandy Newton and basically saying, basically talking about the novel he's reading and he's saying, you know, this was a relatively unnamed unknown author, but because I am carrying his book with me. He will now be part of the human record that survives. And uh, it's just that kind of spirit about the survival of humanity uh, that really makes uh, that really makes these movies work. Along with this one does have a lot of excellent special effects. And there's there's a sense of one of the things that disaster movies do well is pacing they are generally well paced and they keep you on the edge of your seat for a lot of the movie. So they it kind of have a pretty standard format, you know, narrative scene where you set the characters followed by sudden action that thrusts mm-hmm. you in. And that, and that juxtaposition uh, is a really powerful combination to make movies interesting, but you're right. They're not, they're never, none of these movies are ever going to get any sort of critical acclaim. But yeah. they're just interesting and they're fun. All right, what else you got? One more. So what's funny about this is that the person who directed this also directed 2012. Ah. Uh, but he also directed Independence Day. He also directed The Day After Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's kind of, this is kind of his thing. He's a go-to. Uh, yeah, Moonfall. Ah. <laughs> they came out this year. And it's not on my list because it's a good movie because it might be one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But unlike the discussion we'll have later about movies that we would put on our anti-watch list even though it's one of the worst movies i've ever seen i would put moonfall on my you should watch it list <laughs> because it is just so hilarious and terrible nice. um and not believable but yeah you should check it out because it's a roller coaster ride of nonsense <laughs> nice nice <laughs> it's a fun movie like it's it's uh to me, it epitomizes the concept of the disaster movie where you just go to the theater to turn your brain off for two hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not have to think too hard. Just enjoy yeah. what's happening in front of you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm going with uh, I'm going with one you mentioned, also by the same director. I'm going with Independence Day. Hmm. Independence Day is on my list. Um, massive alien attack, which is slightly different than some of the other ones. A lot of the other ones tend to be like natural disasters or, or those type of things. Uh, but this is a global thing that happened. The scale is right. 
setting is right for for that type of thing so i'm considering it a disaster movie um and you get to see things like you get compelling characters this was really will smith's big breakout um obviously he was popular on fresh prince going forward and he'd been in some other stuff but like this was the movie that were like okay will smith needs to be in a lot more movies uh his character is fantastic for this you get lots of different interplay um and uh of course the i'm blanking on his name uh bill pullman bill pullman's the guy i was thinking about bill pullman as the president is really compelling uh gives one of the most rousing speeches about independence day that you will ever see jeff goldblum is excellent in this judd hirsch uh just so many good uh so many good actors play in this and so many good characters uh, that you can really, really look forward to. And it's just a fun, it's a classic summer blockbuster disaster movie, uh, 1996. Really, really well done. And that being said, you probably shouldn't go watch the one that came out 20 years later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As we talk about with Maverick, like movies that succeeded in a second debut years and years later, this one, not so much. Not so much. All right. Anything else on that front? Uh, I don't think so. We covered okay. it pretty well. All right. So let's uh, let's move on to our, our second discussion item, our anti-watch list. These are movies that we hate. And so we're <laughs> going to talk to you a little bit about movies that we hate and why we hate them. Just for the fun of it. All right, Rob. Give me a movie you hate. Um, so I do like it. it I enjoy watching scare slash horror, horror movies, but um, both the ones on my anti-watch list come from that genre because ah. sometimes they're just not good. <laughs> um, so the first one on my list is Hostel, which hmm. to me was two hours plus of just being incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> The first, if you watch the director's cut, basically the first hour is just a, a sex scene, and the second hour is basically just people being tortured to death. <laughs> and it's uh, what I would say about it is the only movie I've felt physically ill after watching, mm. and I would not watch it again. So I highly recommend that you don't watch Hostel. <laughs> nice. Uh, the first one I have is Running with Scissors from 2006, and it's based on kind of an autobiography by Augustine Burroughs. And I have never hated a movie more than I have, like as I'm watching it. As I'm watching it, like I hated, hated this movie. I could not wait. It's so, it's so like, it's supposed to be telling the story of what this kid went through, like, like alcoholic father, unstable mother, you know, bad therapist, like everything else, like everything is wrong in this kid's life. And you're just like, why do I want to sit here and watch this? Like, I'm not compelled by this at all. It's like, here, let's travel down a dark, terrible road where everything is horrible. And you're just like, oh, and I just, I didn't like anything about this movie. And I just remembered, like, I couldn't wait till it was over so I could go back to, like, feeling good about life. Yeah. And it's just I like, think we had this, uh, this discussion around the movie Joker. Like, did, did this movie really need to be made? Like, do we, yeah. do we need to go this deep into things? 
no it's like oh it's like no like i'm not i'm not getting anything out of this whatsoever so that's that's my first one what's your next one all right the other one that i wrote down and i i don't hate a lot of movies so it was not easy to come up with movies that i do hate but um 2005 house of wax Ah, okay um so another horror movie all i really need to say about this one is that paris hillen starred in it <laughs> and she acted about as well as you would expect paris hillen to act in other words not well at all yeah. um and no one else in the cast really redeemed it beyond her lack of ability to act so house of wax might have been better if it was just acted by wax figures um so my second one on the list comes from a director that i actually like a decent amount of his movies but i either like him or i hate him and when i hate him i hate him and uh this is uh from 2015 the hateful eight by uh quentin tarantino this is i think since i've been regularly watching movies this is one of the few times where I've just left the theater because it was just done with the movie. And it's basically, it's, it's about, you know, basically show up, it shows up in this bar in the dead of winter in Wyoming. It's like a bounty hunter or a prisoner. And, you know, they're all stuck in this shelter and in this cabin, in this place. And there's just a bunch of nefarious people running around. It's it's got Samuel L. Jackson, Kurt Russell, Jennifer Jason Lee, Walter Walton Goggins, um, and it's it's just it's so inane. Like it's just a bunch of people sitting around yelling at each other, and like occasionally somebody dies. And it's just so it's so long, it's so drawn out. It's it's like there's nothing compelling about it at all. And it's it's everything that when Tarantino gets excessive, it's everything about him. Like there's no editing. Like he needs an editor to tell him like this scene should not be this long. Something should happen here. Like you don't need to create this giant movie about all these characters. It's it just, oh, there's nothing about it I liked. Um, the only thing I liked about it is the the story I learned afterwards where there's a scene where Kurt Russell smashes a guitar and it was really like a vintage guitar from a, a period, the piece that was on loan from a museum that was supposed to have been replaced uh, by a mock-up guitar and it wasn't. And then the characters really show shock and surprise because they actually just realized that he smashed up this vintage guitar. <laughs> so like, that's the only part of this entire movie that I found compelling. And I just like, after a while, I'm just like, I've had enough. I'm done. See, that's funny because I, I watched the whole movie and it's probably in my top three or four movies of his. <laughs> yeah. I just, oh, I, I just could not get on board with it at all. I just I like long drawn out drama in general, so I'm definitely more uh, precluded to enjoy that movie. But I can certainly see why people wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I just hate it. I hate it. Oh. It's probably more like honestly, it's probably more like a. In in a lot of ways, it's more like a recording of of a play than it is a movie. Yeah, if that makes any sense. 
yeah, it has that feel. It has like this should be a play type feel. Yeah. There's one setting, there's one scene, it's just characters sitting around. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that's our anti-watch list for the for the time being. Uh, we may come back to that occasionally whenever we find movies we find particularly distasteful. Uh, let's move on to our actual watch list, movies that we watched this week. Rob, we know one of the movies you watched, so talk to us about it. Yeah, so I watched The Black Phone uh, starring Ethan Hawke and a lot of kids. Um, and uh, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I don't think it was... Uh, like fantastic movie or or even necessarily a great movie but it was enjoyable um, I do think Ethan Hawke did a very compelling job as the main character the kidnapper in the movie um, the idea behind it of the kid being uh, trapped in this room and getting phone calls from other kids who had been kidnapped and taken to the same place was pretty well executed um, there were certainly a couple scary jump scare type moments um but i would say overall the movie was a lot more about psychological um fear than it was like a horror movie mm-hmm. like i said i think it would have a broader reach or appeal than just a straight horror movie would and um may not have been marketed as exactly as it ended up being so i'm interested in seeing what it does in the second week that it's out see if there is a word of mouth about it. People recommend it to other people to go see. Um, then I also I also watched the last couple of days. I watched Tron and Tron Legacy. Oh, nice. Um, so I I like both movies. I actually think I like the original Tron better. Hmm. And uh, obviously, it doesn't hold up graphics wise. No. Compared to what we have going on now, but you try and um, put yourself. It came out and i think putting yourself there is pretty impressive for you know when it came out what they accomplished visually um i like the second one the one thing that bothers me about the second one and my wife said this is that jeff daniels character looks very polar expressy <laughs> um the, the dh version of him um is it's on it's it's like the uncanny valley uncomfortable yeah. not really quite human a human face going on yeah um obviously the music in the movie is phenomenal we talked about that before Mm -hmm. um all the all the settings and scenes and special effects are pretty awesome yeah but uh that that whole um it when you de-age someone it's hard to do it for an extended amount of time yeah in a movie and make it not feel weird at least with our current technology yeah yeah, and, and and this was several years ago. Yeah, too. this was so 2010. Even, so yeah, not even our current technology. Yeah. So it was impressive that they attempted it, um, but I don't think they quite pulled it off. Maybe as as well as they would have mm-hmm. liked to. Uh, but it was still cool to see like the younger version of him still around and doing stuff. And I I did enjoy the story and the finding Tron in the movie and. The connections that had to the first movie. Um, near the beginning of Tron Legacy, he goes to the old place where his dad worked and opens up the same door 
that his dad had opened up in the first movie and says like the exact same line, like that's a big door. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my kids thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I liked some of the little callbacks they had to the mm-hmm. first movie in the second one. So I saw both the Tron movies as well this week. I, I love Tron Legacy. I mean, you're, you're not incorrect about your assessment of the, the de-aging, uh, but everything else about that movie, the visual, visual, visual spectacle that was just created in there. It was just incredible, plus the music. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a favorite of mine. Uh, yeah, so for me, I had a very busy week and only got to watch one movie, which um, I let my wife choose, but I actually quite like it myself, and that's... Uh, uh, the Devil Wears Prada. Um, it is it is an excellent character study about what happens when um, someone gets <clears throat> caught up in in a world and gets influenced and caught up by a world and becomes something they did not intend to become. Um, it stars Anne Hathaway, Meryl Streep, Emily Blunt, Adrian Grenier, and basically. Um, this is kind of a little bit of a classic storyline. A, a woman with very little sense of fashion ends up working as an assistant to basically the queen of fashion, who is played by Meryl Streep uh, at a fashion magazine. And so it deals deeply into the world of fashion and everything related to their, um, her boss is a complete uh, narcissist and psycho. Uh, but it's a really excellent character study, and I really, really do enjoy this. Um, Stanley Tucci really stands out in this movie. He is, of course, an amazing actor, and everything he does is compelling, and this is not an exception. Uh, he's very, very good in this in this film. I highly recommend. And that's from 2006. All right. All right. Well, that is the show for today. Thank you for checking out Film for Fans. Check out the filmforfans.com website and all the content we've got over there. Tell your friends about it. And until next time, enjoy the movies.